Well, good evening. Open your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Corinthians 4. We'll be there in just a little bit. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Wow, here we are. It's Wednesday. It's gone fast. It's been great. I've enjoyed this so much being with every one of you. And uh, I have just been so encouraged by the congregation here. And appreciate the invitation again to the shepherds. I appreciate the shepherds here. God bless you and the work you do holding up uh, the Lord and holding up the brethren here as you shepherd the sheep. Uh, may God richly bless you. Thank you, everyone, for your sacrifice this week. Uh, there's a lot of sacrifices going on. Those who are teaching, those who are, who are living life and just going crazy with life and then coming here. And so I'm so thankful for that. Uh, appreciate Roger. Uh, just appreciate him and Debbie so much. And uh, uh, I don't want to say too much because I'm already emotional, but he's been there for me every step of the way in my life. You know, he baptized me, preached my wedding, preached my mama's funeral, and it just encouraged me at some very low points in my life, you know. And so when I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, he's like, Aaron, you remember, you walk through the valley, you don't stay there. And so that was, he's been my, my Paul through all of these years. And so thank you so much, Roger, for that. Jason and Shelley, it's good to see you as well, and I sure appreciate your heart for the Lord and may God richly bless this group. Thank you for all of those who fed me. That's a, that's a, great, <laughs> that's a great blessing. Uh, and so I'm, I'm encouraged by that. Okay, so we're in 2 Timothy, and uh, we'll be in 2 Corinthians in just a moment. But I'm going to put up the verse for 2 Timothy, and then we're going to look at 2 Corinthians. But Paul, as we said at the beginning of this series, Paul's Swan song, his last letter is 2 Timothy. He's about to die. He knows he's about to die. He knows that he's in prison and this is it. He knows he's looking death right in the face and he takes his time to write this last letter to encourage his son in the faith, Timothy, about some very important things. Timothy, as I've said, he seems to be rattled. And so he has to tell him in the first chapter, don't be afraid, Timothy. Don't be ashamed, Timothy. Remember the promises, Timothy. Preach the word, Timothy. Remember the scriptures, Timothy. Remember that faith. Remember who you got it from. Remember your mother and your grandmother. And he just does all of this stuff to encourage him. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. That's all in this letter. Paul, as he is looking death in the face, begins this letter with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. And because Jesus rose from the dead, and you see that come up several times in the letter, as it does in all of Paul's works, the resurrection of Jesus was critical, foundational to everything he thought, everything he did, everything he practiced, everything he, he uh, participated in, had to, had to do, had its anchor in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so now he's about to die for doing good things. He's about to die for preaching the gospel, and he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. He's about to pick up the anchor and set sail. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. What's on his mind? Henceforth is laid up for me. When I die, however that's going to happen, I don't know if he knew how he was going to die, 
we have records that say he was beheaded. We don't know if that's for sure, but it doesn't matter. He died, he was killed for the cause of Christ. But whatever happened, when he, when he died, he knew at that moment, as Roger says, he crossed through a door to be with Jesus, and Jesus gave him a crown. Or will give him a crown. So you just think about it. His hope was for Jesus to give him a crown. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Notice, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. He's looking toward the day of, he- the day of heaven, the day of judgment. And not only to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That's me. And that's you. But I want to ask you if you have that kind of confident anticipation do you have that confident hope because it wasn't just Paul that did that you understand it wasn't just Paul that's how Job lived Job in the midst of his suffering as he had lost everything he lost his health he lost everything in his, that he had had he says I know that my redeemer lives and one day he will stand on the earth. It was Abraham who looked to a heavenly city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. It was David who looked to be in the presence of God where there is fullness of joy forevermore. It is Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is at the right hand of God. It is Peter who was looking forward to and hastening the day of God. It is John who finishes this wonderful book we have called the Bible. Some of the very last book, uh, words of that book, as John says, even so, come, Lord Jesus. The words of an older man who's in love with Jesus. I'm ready. Are you ready? Can you have that confident expectation? Yes, absolutely we can through the grace of Christ through what he did at the cross. And as we walk with him in life, as we fight the good fight and finish the race, keep the faith, we can have a confident expectation just like they all did, an anticipation. I'm looking past this life knowing that one day I'm going to be with Jesus. So I want to talk today about three things. When it comes to the crown, and we turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I want to look at a few things from this text. We're going, to, we're going to stay here for a while, but we're going to go back and forth to other passages as well. We're going to draw some things from this passage that tell us there are three things that Paul longed for. So I want you to look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Remember what Paul looked like? I'm not talking about he had, he had black hair and, and brown eyes or whatever. He had the marks of the Lord Jesus. Remember we've talked about that, Galatians 6 and verse 17. He had the marks of the Lord Jesus. He had scars all over his body. He had bruises. He had had everything that happened to him with all these broken bones. Who knows uh, all the scars and what they looked like. But he says in verse 7, we have this treasure, this treasure that God gave us in jars of clay. That's how he considered himself. His body to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. 
For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Notice this. He always, Paul always goes back to the resurrection. I hope you notice that when you're studying. Paul always goes back to the resurrection. In his world, there's nothing without the resurrection. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also uh, raise us with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving so to the glory of God. So, we don't lose heart. You see, this is not just an intellectual exercise. Sometimes we might come to a Bible study, we might hear a sermon, and say, that's all nice. We take our notes, we set our Bible away, and we go on our life. Paul says, no, this information matters to how I think, how I live my life, where my hope is tied to. When everything around us is falling apart, as I think it is at times, we don't lose heart. Why? Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You know, you just might take in your notes 2 Corinthians 11 and put right beside here as you're reading this, verse 17. What did he call his suffering? The first few words of verse 17, what are they? Momentary light affliction. You go to 2 Corinthians 11, he was scourged, he was stoned, he was beaten. Momentary light affliction. This momentary light affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. We are looking past the seen to the unseen. We continue in chapter 5 and verse 1. For we know that if the tent, your temporary address, that's this, is, is, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. This is your temporary address. Your body, this, is your temporary address. But you have an eternal home, a house made without hands, eternal in the heavens. Was Paul hoping for that? What's verse 2 tell us, guys? For in this tent we groan. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Do you think that beaten old ragged body that he was looking forward to the time when he could exchange that? Do you think that the person that's body is wasting away from cancer is waiting for that glorious body? The person that has ALS, the person who has all of the heart diseases and everything else, their bodies are wasting away. They're looking forward to a house made without hands. Longing for it. Verse 3, if indeed we put it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, 
being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. For he who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. Again, think of everything he's been through. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and home with the Lord. So, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We're going to look at three things from that passage. Here are three things that Paul longed for. Notice what he describes in this body with a, made without hands. He described what he had as jars of clay. He described what he had as a tent. He described what he had as, as, as an outer self that is wasting away. It hurts. I know many of you have probably sat by the, the bed of a loved one whose body is wasting away. It's hard to watch, isn't it? Well, that's what's happening to Paul. But we have to understand that as our bodies are wasting away, and yes, we groan about that, yes, we mourn, but we also have joy. You know, we can have both of those at the same time. I can have joy, but I can also cry. Amen. We can do both. We can cry, but we can also rejoice in hope, knowing that we will have a body made without hands. Death will be swallowed up by immortality. I want you to look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. A lot of times when I'm by a graveside of a Christian, uh, I'll, I'll go back to this verse. A lot of times. 1 Corinthians 15. This in this context is about the resurrection and how important the resurrection is to our faith. The resurrection is everything to the Bible, young people. If you take the resurrection of Jesus Christ out of this Bible, all of the pages just fly away in the wind. That's the binding that holds everything together. Every doctrine is tied to it. So you think about how important is the resurrection? Well, how important is, to me, is, is it to me today as I'm thinking about my own death? Verse 50. I tell you this, brothers... Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be, what? Changed. For this perishable, perishable body, this body that is ridden with disease uh, and cancer and ALS and Alzheimer's must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in what? Do you believe that? I hope you do. If you're struggling to believe that, would you ask for a study? 
But if you believe that, stand on that promise. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? I remember thinking about this verse as I looked at my mom's casket over the grave. There's no victory there because she died in Christ. Oh, death, where is your victory? And so we can understand that as Paul was, was facing his own death, he knew that he would receive a body made without hands. Part of that crown, part of that reward involves a new body. Philippians chapter 3, in verse 20 and 21, he says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we're waiting for Jesus to transform these lowly bodies into a glorious body. Lowly bodies into a glorious body. I don't know what it looks like. Even John wasn't sure what it all looked like, he said. But I just know God's going to give us something new. And I say, thank you. I don't have to understand it. I just say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you're going to do that for me. Thank you, God, that you're willing to do that for me. That we'll receive a glorious body. The second thing, as we go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. What makes heaven heaven? Well, we, we, we know that there are lots of descriptions in the book of Revelation about the glory of, of this heavenly place. And they talk about the street of gold, and they talk about uh, gates, they talk about pearl, and talk about all this kind of thing. It's beautiful. But what really makes heaven heaven? I mean, those are symbolic terms to help us kind of picture in our mind what we can't really imagine anyways. It's a realm beyond our comprehension. So God's trying to help us see what we really can't understand. But what really makes heaven heaven and what makes hell really hell? And I know we talked about this before in a previous lesson. But what makes heaven heaven is that Jesus is there and you and I are together with Jesus. That's what makes heaven heaven. And what makes hell hell is some of the saddest words in the Bible when Jesus says, depart from me into outer darkness. Depart from me. I never knew you. Be cast away from the presence of the Lord. That's what makes hell so awful. It's to be separated from God and His grace and His goodness and His mercy and His loving kindness. But what makes heaven wonderful is to be in His presence. And that's what Paul was longing for. Notice this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, back in verse 14. Does the resurrection of Jesus Christ matter? Yes, because it's tied to what happens to me after I die. Verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. When you take that last breath, you know you have that hope of being in the presence of Jesus on that day. That's a beautiful thought. And that's what makes heaven, heaven. That's what makes heaven so wonderful. Chapter 5 and verse 6. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. But he wanted to be away from the body, verse 8, and to be at home with the Lord. 
And that's not the only time he said that. As you can see on your notes, uh, in, in Philippians chapter 1, you can turn there